Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609. 3711. Hey, this is episode 17 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, November 3rd. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there is all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, I got to tell you, late last night, when I saw that the numbers in Virginia were going backwards, Fox News, the AP, all over the place, had been reporting that 97% of the vote was in in Virginia, And then all of a sudden it went down to 94%. And I was out there on Twitter saying, well, they're going to steal it, aren't they? Yep, Democrats and McAuliffe are going to steal it, aren't they? Next thing you know, Brett Baer on Fox. Remember the guy who called Arizona almost immediately on election night for Biden over Trump was like, well, now we're getting uh, emails uh, from all over the place. uh, People saying, well, the uh, the Democrats, uh, the Democrat areas, they're trying to wait and see how many ballots they'll need to... uh, uh, take this from a call of, uh, that's not what's going on. That's not why, it, you know, he tried to explain why they went from 97% to 94%. So imagine my surprise and delight when Yunkin did actually beat McAuliffe. When the Democrats didn't actually steal it last night in Virginia. I was sure they were going to. Uh, Now, obviously, they're in the process of trying to steal it in New Jersey. That's what's going on here. But I got a lot of wonderful audio from last night that we want to get to here in a moment. But allow me, if you will, to share with you, you probably have heard of something called the Babylon Bee. It's a wonderful, hilarious satire site. What you may not be aware of is that they have a companion, kind of a sister website called Not The Bee, which is not satire, but actually stuff going on. And they got a little blurb this morning entitled, Republican Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race last night. Here's why this is a really big deal and a huge loss for Democrats. And since they have the, the seal of the great state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, Six Semper Tyrannus, at the top of the article, and that means so much to me because I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. Grew up in Charlotte, but born in Virginia. And my daddy was born in Virginia. And uh, he passed when I was 16, many, many years ago. But... Uh, 
He had a framed copy, copy, pardon me, a framed copy of the, uh, the great seal of the great Commonwealth of Virginia. And this brings back a lot of wonderful memories for me. And I want to share with you what the folks over at Not The Bee are saying this morning, because it's pretty strong. Republican Glenn Youngkin just smoked Democrat Terry McAuliffe to win the race for governor of Virginia, dealing a massive L to Biden, Dems, and Wokies nationwide. This is a state that Joe Biden won by 10 points just last year. No Republican has won any statewide election in Virginia since 2009. That's right. The Democrats have gone so padded wall insane under Joe Biden that everyday Virginians woke up and went, okay, nope, this isn't good. We got to do something about this by God. I mean, don't they say by God in Virginia? And they went out and elected a Republican for governor, turning their blue state red. This is a big deal. Here are a few reasons why this is a big deal. Number one, McAuliffe had all the superstars that the Democrat Party campaigning for, and that's right. Youngkin mostly campaigned on his own, but who did liberal McAuliffe have waving his flag? Oh, none other than Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, professional election loser Stacey Abrams, and yes, even the Lord and Savior of the Democrat Party himself, Barack Hussein Obama. Harris, Abrams, and Obama even traveled to the state to stump for him in person, and he still lost, LOL. Please forgive the outburst. It just makes me happy to see those divisive hucksters and wannabe tyrants lose. Oh, and speaking of tyrants, Virginia's state motto is Sic Semper Tyrannus, which means thus always to tyrants. If you know, you know. So number two, number two and the reasons why this is a big deal, what happened last night, Youngkin focused on the woke left's insane attempted takeovers of Virginia public schools and school boards. And what was the result? Election officials said turnout was high. More than 3 million voters were reported late Tuesday with votes still being counted. About 2.6 million Virginians voted in the last gubernatorial election in 2017, according to state election figures. That's right. Huge turnout. And a big, fat dub for Republicans served alongside a huge, steaming L for Democrats and Wokies. You've heard about all the insanity that has taken place in Loudoun County, Virginia, recently? The school board and stuff there, right? Those parents who fought back are heroes, and they made a huge difference in this election. They really changed things. We salute you parents. Outstanding work, and now you've gotten yourself a Republican governor. Uh, Number three, last thing, Trump played a big part in this election by not really playing a part in this election. Yeah, everyone has been thinking that the only way to win the elections as a Republican post-Trump was to align oneself with Trump and talk about Trump all the time and maybe even talk like Trump. 
Glenn Youngkin didn't do that. He pretty much didn't talk about Trump at all. He talked about specific issues facing everyday Virginians. And he talked about the insane woke left trying to usher in Marxism and torpedo America. And he won a huge victory. This is bad for Democrats. They want Republican and Trump to be synonymous. They want people to think Republicans are, are, are racist, bigoted Nazis. They want to be able to scream, Trump, 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 orange man bad, Trump, 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 as their argument in any political discussion. So sorry, Democrats. Listen, this election is a lesson for all of us every day, reasonable, freedom-loving people. The Virginians who saw insanity happening and decided to push back changed history. And now a Republican runs their state. Is crazy, woke insanity happening where you are? Push back. Don't stop. Spread the word. Mobilize. And you'll win too. That's all for now. I'll admit that I'm allowing myself to hope that this might be the tip of the spear in the 2022 and 2024 could deliver a huge collective smackdown of the Marxist, CRT crazy, hateful, divisive, collectivist, woke left that has emerged in the past five years. Having a great morning. Now, that's the great Doc Holiday over at notthebee.com. I'll put it on my Facebook page here in a little bit. But that's smoking, y'all. That is absolutely smoking, y'all. So, also, thefederalist.com has the article, Parents Unhappy with Woke Education When Big in School Board Elections in Different Parts of the Country. And that's wonderful. MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell called critical race theory a conspiracy theory. Even though parents saw it in real time. Parents saw it in real time. Oh, okay. All right. No, I get it. Okay, I, I, I get it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. Andrea Mitchell. No, I, I, I'm getting some breaking news on Bongino. We'll get to that in a little bit. Andrea Mitchell called critical race theory a conspiracy theory. Let's let's check and see what she was saying last night on MSNBC. Particularly what we're seeing in critical Loudoun County. Well, I was going to say in Loudoun County, this is where critical race theory, this conspiracy theory that is really made up, it's not taught anywhere in Virginia schools. It was promoted, in fact, by a person who is connected to the Trump White House. And so there's a whole train of people who were involved in setting this up. But Youngkin has used this issue. And in the debate that Chuck was moderating, Terry McAuliffe kind of walked into it by saying a clip, which he says was out of context, 
where she said that parents, you know, shouldn't be involved in their school, in the kids' schools. And he has said over and over again since that he didn't mean it. He said it on Meet the Press. But the fact is that we saw in the exit polls that for the first time in any of our memory, education was second to the economy in the issue that voters cared most about. Okay. He said parents should not be involved in their children's education. And then as far as Andrea Mitchell, or as the late, great Rush Limbaugh would call her, Andrea Mitchell is concerned. If he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, then then let's just move on because he's a Democrat. But clearly, Andrea Mitchell, the voters of Virginia are not going to move on because he did mean it, and we all know he meant it. We all know he meant it. So, a remarkable thread here from a guy named Steve Guest, special advisor for communications for Senator Ted Cruz. He put together a thread of different clips of the libs freaking out on lib media last night. To give you an example, because we don't watch it, how did Democrats and MSNBC and CNN cope with Glenn Youngkin's win in Virginia? Uh, here are some of the worst takes from last night. MSNBC, Joy Reid. They would have to be willing to say what you have said on your show. I think we've all said a version of it. You have to be willing to vocalize that these Republicans are dangerous, that this isn't a party that's just another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy, that at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security because stoking that kind of soft white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff. It leads to the January 6th stuff because if people are tolerant of it in your party, they're tolerant of the soft racism, mm. it's a really short trip to get to the January 6th insurrectionist place. Well, and we're not <laughs> Virginians elected a first-generation Jamaican-American, a black lady last night, Winsome Sears, lieutenant governor. <laughs> and guess what? Joy Reid, Rachel Maddow, Nicole Wallace, all the people at MSNBC refused to even talk about that, refused to even mention that. Because, see, that kind of flies in the face of people who vote Republican or racist. Well, they just elected a black woman. So, Joy Reid continues over there on the MSNBC with uh, Rachel Madcow. There are some some variables that are moving in the right direction at this point. And the exit poll showed that, that which was interesting, that the coronavirus or that the virus was a very Has low was not importance to many yes, of the voters there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, uh, here's the rest. Race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. It used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. It just is powerful. No, y'all are still Dixiecrats. Y'all are still Dixiecrats. And, you know, he, see, here's the thing. They try to project their own racism onto other folk. 
But the folk who elected Glenn Youngkin governor and Winsome Sears lieutenant governor, and God willing, will elect Winsome Sears governor of Virginia eight years from now. It's not about race. It's about I relate to you. We agree with each other. And that drives these Democrat activists and liberal media pundits, but I repeat myself, it drives them crazy because the race card's all they got left, man. Remember what Joe Biden said? He's running for re-election as vice president in 2012. If Romney won, he's going to put you all back in chains, said to a predominantly black audience. Remember what Joe Biden said? Fall of last year when he's talking to a black radio personality, he said, well, we got some questions. You got questions. You're still trying to figure out whether you support me or Trump. You ain't black. Race card's all he got, y'all. It's all he got. Gas prices going up for everybody. Black, white, Hispanic, everybody. Supply chains affecting everybody. And all these knuckleheads have is a race card. Doesn't work that way. Communist Van Jones over at CNN talking to David Axelrod. Um, first of all, it's not over. Um, you do have the, the grassroots folks out there uh, fighting for this on the Democratic Party side. The stakes are high. Uh, when this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster and can get a lot more places. Uh, you hear that kind of... <sighs> that kind of madness, you know? That kind of madness. Uh, now, here's a lot of people's favorite from last night, Nicole Wallace over on MSNBC. I think we know the answer to some of this. I watched Glenn Youngkin's interviews on Fox News, and he did nothing that Claire's. He did not. I mean, he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump on Fox News. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. He simply didn't. He played dumb about a, 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 a Zoom rally. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection in which police officers were maimed by flagpoles. So I think that the, the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection-endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? I think we know... All right, no, 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 that's enough, Nicole. No, you don't get a second. You don't get a second. They're going nuts. They're going nuts. Um... Sorry, I, I just gotta I just gotta send a, a DM back to Bongino here. This this guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. And and, and I'll 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 talk about it here in a little bit. Yeah. So the Dems are going nuts last night because it didn't work out for him. Now, when I went to sleep last night, way after midnight, um, the um, the count in Jersey, they said they had 
percent of the vote in, right? And when I got in here to look at everything a little bit ago, NBC News said, oh, no, it's 85%. 85%. And Murphy was leading when they started counting again. I get uh, a dump of 2,600 votes his way. And now Yunkin is leading by less than 700 votes with over 2.3 million votes cast. So why would we not think they're trying to steal it in Jersey? The way Democrats always steal close votes. And why was it 88% in last night, only 85% in now, according to NBC, but according to Fox, it's still 88%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry. I, I got to send another DM back to Bongino. Um, I, I, I like this guy. Uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about what it means to stick to your principles. God bless him. God bless him. He's an amazing guy. All right. um, Pardon me. Uh, This Olivia Rondo calls herself the conscious black conservatarian. And she contributes to a lot of different blogs, podcasts, all this kind of stuff. She's a YouTube host. She's got about 70,000 followers on Twitter. So she was on Fox. And, uh, (laughs) of course, Fox always has their token liberal in there. They'll have like three or four people, and one of them has to be a lib. But she's, she's definitely not the lib. And uh, she says something like this. I do think that there's aliens already on this earth. Are you telling me that you're going to look at Hillary Clinton and all these lizard people and tell me that they're from this planet? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't want to oh, be from the same God. planet as Hillary Clinton. She called Hillary Clinton an alien lizard on live TV. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So... Ron DeSantis, did you hear what he called the Biden administration? Uh, If you look at that, if you look at what's going on with with some of the big corporations, with their woke agenda, when you look at the Biden, the Brandon administration, in terms of what they're doing. You know, I don't even know, like, do do you know how that started? Like, it was, 
and, and like, you know, you have the media, they're hand-wringing over this. Um, but, you know, it was at a NASCAR race, and they're doing an interview with a driver. I guess his name was Brandon. And the crowd starts chanting very colorful language about Joe Biden. And it was obvious that, that they were doing. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. First of all, they said way worse about Trump for four years. Oh, that, that was it. That was it. Okay. That's funny. That's funny. Great. Great. So, you know, you know, Bongino has sense of humor. DeSantis has a, has a sense of humor too. They all have sense of humor. Sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once. Um, Jack Posobiec, Human Events Daily, has obtained never-before-seen FBI footage of the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting showing conclusively that it was totally self-defense. FBI had the footage the entire time, covered it up. Kyle Rittenhouse on trial now for shooting three guys, two of whom died when they tried to kill him in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the rioting up there. How about that? How about that? By the way, uh, News 4 San Antonio reporting parents and guardians who take their kids to get vaccinated at a Metro Health Clinic are eligible to receive a $100 gift card from HEB grocery store chain. They're in Texas. Metro Health will be offering the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to kids aged 5 to 11 years old starting Wednesday. And the parents, starting Wednesday the 10th, at the uh, Alamo Dome mass vaccination site and various vaccine pop-up clinics, and the parents can get a $100 gift card from HEB. I hope that HEB is not you know, doing this. They're not cooperating. I hope that the vaccine Nazis just you know got it without their cooperation. Because, um, I mean, I lived in, I lived in Texas 30 years ago. I loved HEB, just loved it. So I'm looking at that article and you know, whenever you're looking at uh, an article on a news site, there are always suggested other articles over to the side or down below. Here's one. From CNN, of all places. Fully vaccinated man dies, comma, wife's warning. North Palm Beach, Florida. A family in Florida is heartbroken and shocked after a fully vaccinated 58-year-old man with no, no comorbid conditions died of COVID-19. Hear about this one? 
CNN, of all places, and News 4 San Antonio picks it up. Jamie Conadere, Vincent Conadere's wife, said he was a beautiful, handsome, strong, healthy, kind-hearted guy who was loved by so many people. A proud father and husband, Vincent Conadere, loved riding his motorcycle, being near the ocean, and going on vacations with his family. His widow, Jamie, says it's unimaginable grief. She met her husband, Vincent, in 1985 at the Palm Beach Post newspaper where he worked for 36 years. Now, Vincent Conadere's family is left with his memories, but also questions like how a man they say had no pre-existing conditions who was fully vaccinated could die from COVID-19. Jamie Conadere said, he did what he was supposed to do. He did what he was told to do. He was trying to protect his family, and he just felt it was the right thing to do. And he felt that if he did get COVID, he would not die, that the vaccination would save him, right? The CDC reports that as of October 4th this year, out of the more than 185 million fully vaccinated Americans over 6,600 people died from COVID-19, which amounts to one out of every 25,000 fully vaccinated Americans dying from the virus. But see, that's just what they report. The Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System is voluntary. Hospitals don't have to report fully vaccinated people dying from COVID or from the vaccine, for that matter. The majority of those death, pardon me, the majority of those deadly breakthrough cases are people over 65, but Vincent was 58. Also, none of the companies offering the shot, including Johnson & Johnson, which Vincent Conadere received, has ever claimed to have a vaccine completely effective at preventing death from COVID-19. Well, you couldn't prove it by me. Biden even said if you get the vaccine, you won't even get COVID, much less die from it. Jamie, see, CNN throws in all these um, all these phrases here to try to minimize the blunt force trauma of the story. Jamie Conadere now has this message to everyone in the community, regardless of their vaccination status. Quote, I would tell that person to go ahead and get vaccinated, but I because I still feel like it's the right thing to do but to not let down your guard. You still need to wear your mask. You'll still, you still need to stay away from super spreader events and follow all the other guidelines, unquote. So she has no idea. She's still saying get vaccinated, even though her husband had no comorbidities and got COVID after he got vaccinated and died. She still says get vaccinated. The brainwashing is strong with this one. It's strong. Conadere was hospitalized for more than a month before he died. Oh, I'll bet you they didn't give him anything for it either. I bet you they just put him on a vent and let him die. So a lot of hospitals do, you know. Hydroxychloroquine. Oh, no, 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 no. Ivermectin. Oh, heaven forbid. Monoclonal antibodies. No, you don't qualify for those. We'll just uh, give you a bed, put you on a vent, let you die. That's what a lot of them do. In addition to his wife, Jamie, Conadere survived by his two children. 
man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Let me look over at uh, Jersey again. See what's going on with New Jersey. Election results. Let's see. Okay, even though they said last night 88% of the vote was in, NBC News is now saying only 85% of the vote is in. Oh, and they've got Jack Chiaterelli leading Phil Murphy by a little over 400 votes out of 2.3 million votes cast. Let's see, Fox News still says it's 88% of the vote in. And they've got the same vote totals for Chiaterelli and the Democrat incumbent, Phil Murphy. Democrats start trying to steal this one, just so you know. Just so you know. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow, wow. No, I'm just, I'm typing up. <laughs> I'm typing up the, <laughs> Bongino and I are DMing on Twitter. Uh, and it's tough to talk and, 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 uh, and, and, and type at the same time. But you got to do what you got to do sometimes. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. All right. No, I was just curious. I was just curious. I met Michelle Obama when she was down in Panama City, Florida. I was doing a talk radio, local talk radio down there. And um, it dawned on me recently that uh, that was when Dan Bongino was still with Secret Service. So I was just asking him if he was... Uh, on Michelle Obama's Secret Service detail when she went to a Panama City in 2010. He said, no, I was with Barack. And I said, gotcha. Someday I hope to tell you a story about what I asked Michelle when I met her. Okay. Just one of those things. I know. I'm sorry. Too much inside baseball. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what is Dementia Joe lying about this morning? By the way, with the trouncing the Democrats took in Virginia last night, there are no public events scheduled for Dementia Joe and not even a White House press briefing from White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki. Let's see, Dementia Joe out there on Twitter says, we have reached a turning point in our battle against COVID-19 authorization of a safe, effective vaccine for children aged 5 through 11. Okay, total lie. The FDA, when their advisory council was meeting the other day, and I played the audio for you here on the podcast. One of the guys was saying, well, we're not going to find out how safe it is until we go ahead and start to vaccinate the kids. Okay, so I'm not going to read any of the rest of what uh, Dimitri Joe said because it's just, it's just horrendous. But I do like the part about the, uh, the libs freaking out on the liberal media last night. Again, the communist Van Jones over there on CNN. This is a big deal. 
these numbers are bad. This is not some, th- these, are, these are our voters. Th- these are voters that came to us in 2018, came to us in 2020, and have abandoned us in droves in two states that should be in our column. That's a big deal. That's a, that, that, is, that is a five-alarm fire. Y'all done screwed up, man. Y'all done screwed up. Let me see um, how Ron DeSantis is putting it here. Because sometimes people will ask me, oh, man, how come Florida, 84,000 jobs, the rest of the country, you know, what, what could be done to help the rest of the country? And I say, well, you know, the saying that I always think back, and it's a little bit of a flourish on how it's been used previously, uh, but a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. A recovery is when Dr. Fauci loses his. Yeah, boy. So I'm talking about sweet, sweet. So this morning... Marjorie Taylor Greene, the wonderful freshman congresswoman from Northwest Georgia, and Louie Gohmert, the wonderful veteran congressman from Texas. And thank you so much to our listeners in Virginia and Georgia and Texas. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Judge Gohmert were denied entry to visit Louie's constituent and conduct oversight at the D.C. jail. She says, I'm extremely concerned about the treatment of January 6th defendants and now all inmates being held there. She says, call the jail to demand oversight and transparency. 202-673-7316. And she's got the video of this huge guard Denying them entry. And it's horrific. It's horrific. Now, I think it's always interesting to try to understand people you disagree with. You know what I'm saying? And so, there's a tendency when one party loses big on a particular election for there to be a post-mortem pretty soon after trying to figure out, hey, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? So the Democrats got spanked in Virginia last night. Republicans took control of the state house. They took the governorship, lieutenant governor, attorney general. Democrats got spanked, all right? So this guy named uh, Matthew Stoller, he's a dem, he's a lib, works at something called the American Economic Liberties Project, which is weird because Democrats don't really want economic liberty. But he's doing a post-mortem. He started doing the post-mortem before the polls even closed yesterday, which is fascinating. He said, I have views on what Democrats are doing wrong politically, but the basic issue is that we are out of touch. He says, I've never seen such wildly pro-labor sentiment in America in my lifetime. 
But the Democrat governing class has no connection to the working class. He says, when Democrats admire a working class icon as much as they admire Anthony Fauci, they will no longer be out of touch. Screw that. When Democrats can name a working class icon. Know what I'm saying? He says, structurally, the Democrats rely for their political machinery on nonprofits, and that's mostly untethered from any feedback loop except what foundation and corporate executives think. I don't really know how to fix any of this. He says, I keep coming back to this note on how Georgia Pacific ripped the heart out of an Arkansas town that had gone Democrat even into the late 2010s, and then the town immediately started voting for Republicans. So he's got a link to an explanation of what he's talking about, about the town in Arkansas. And, of course, I used to do local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas, for over seven years. Now I'm doing a national show. But this is a guy talking about how Democrats nationally are out of touch related to the Virginia gubernatorial election. And so if he wants to use something that happened in Arkansas as uh, an example of how out of touch they are, we'll take a look at it. So here's uh, here's what he links to. It says, I support the anti-monopoly movement because of how it's personally affected my life. My dad's hometown of Crossett, Arkansas, that's way down south Arkansas, is unfortunately a textbook victim of monopolization. It's a company town centered around its paper mill, which until late 2019 was one of the largest in the U.S. I enjoyed spending a good chunk of my summer and the holidays there growing up, It always seemed to be the quintessential American small town with a southern flavor to it, of course. The mill in Crossett, Arkansas, is owned by Georgia Pacific, which is itself owned by Coke Industries. You know, the Coke brothers, K-O-C-H. The U.S. paper mill industry is highly consolidated with three big companies, Georgia Pacific, International Paper, Kimberly-Clark, responsible for much of the industry. Paper milling is a dirty business, and the cross at Arkansas Mill had its share of notoriety. It was the subject of a documentary film called Company Town, and a few years after that got hit by the largest penalty in Georgia Pacific's history under Donald Trump's EPA, no less. Shortly after this, the Koch brothers retaliated against the town of Crossett by closing down a substantial portion of the mill, laying off nearly 600 people. In a town of 6,000 people, where this is the main industry, it was like ripping the heart out of the place. I then reached out to various people in the town, along with the politicians in the Arkansas State House responsible for representing the area. I wanted to see, from my small perch, how I could help. One response stuck with me. I asked why no one else had tried to come in and operate the mill, which was in the middle of prime timber country with a very experienced workforce. I was told there's no one else left. The industry has consolidated and there's no one left to step up. That started me down the road of the anti-monopoly movement. 
I read the book Goliath at the beginning of the pandemic. At the same time, we were experiencing a toilet paper and paper towel shortage. I couldn't help thinking it might have helped to have Georgia Pacific's second largest paper mill open during that time. It just helped convince me of the stupidity and greed at the heart of our current economic system. Also, what many people don't know is that Arkansas may be a cherry red state now, but it was solid blue until 2010, both at the federal and state level. I placed the lion's share of the blame directly at the feet of Barack Obama and the congressional Democrats for that. Their corporate-friendly policies have devastated towns like Cross at Arkansas up and down the line. Once people saw the Democrats didn't have their back economically, they figured at least the Republicans were honest in what they're about and didn't come with any hypocritical moralizing on social issues most of them didn't favor. Democrats should understand that Cross at Arkansas remained loyal to them right up until 2020. When no one seemed to care about the town, they stopped caring what happened to them. We've allowed a new aristocracy to rise in the U.S., and just like in other periods in our history, it's time to cut the bastards down to size. Now, that's pretty strong language, but that's the way it's written, and that's a guy who seems to be still a Democrat explaining why people in a previously very blue area of a red state deserted the Democrats because they felt like the Democrats deserted them. So Matt Stoller links to that, and here's what he gets from it. He says, a conversation among writers at the Atlantic magazine, elite funders, wealthy pollsters, tenured professors, and corporatized political operatives isn't going to come up with the right answer because that conversation itself is the problem. The Democrats are a closed-loop cartel. He says, I haven't seen a better example of this problem than Tara McGowan, who literally ruined the Iowa caucuses with an app that could not count votes. And yet Silicon Valley billionaires just bestowed her with tens of millions of dollars. There's so many problems with the Democrat Party, it's hard to know where to start. And what's even worse is that you can't even talk about most of the problems because so many of them are sacred cows. It's worse than the dolphins, maybe. The only Democrat candidate I've seen really capture this dynamic is Lucas Kuntz of Missouri. Never heard of him. Let's see. Populist running for U.S. Senate, 13-year Marine veteran, arms control negotiator, yada, yada, yada. He says there's certainly others. I just don't pay that much attention to candidates. Lewis Kuntz is worth watching because of how he talks about economic and political power. It's very different. Yeah, but he's a Democrat, so, you know, problem's going to be the same. And he's not going to win. He's not going to win. He says, then again, this agenda does seem really compelling. And he links to a picture of, let's see, a book for kids about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Magnetic Dress-Up, Dress to Descent. 
a little bobblehead doll of Anthony Fauci, real-life action figures, uh, a little book called I Miss You, Barack Obama, and then a passport to get into Canada. <laughs> That's fine. Go to Canada, pal. He says, vote Democrat. We'll protect Obamacare and we'll impo- impose net neutrality rules to protect the open Internet so you can access GoFundMe to beg in public or whatever Obamacare doesn't cover. He's doing pretty good right up till the end. But he's also part of the, uh, the echo chamber. They don't know what they don't know. And let's keep it that way, all right? Remember how Rush Limbaugh used to talk about Bill Clinton's former Secretary of Labor? He called him Robert B. Reich. Well, Robert B. is on the the Twitter overnight saying, Glenn Youngkin was able to feed vile lies directly to his base through a right-wing media machine that ceaselessly amplified his garbage. How can democracy survive this? Okay, so the first, the first response, and I love this. The first response is, wow, your 90% dominance of the airwaves and cable news didn't prevent the utter rejection, utter rejection of your policies from Long Island to Seattle? Bet you want to secede again. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff happened last night. So, even Kamala Harris's charisma couldn't save Terry McAuffle. She came to uh, Virginia to campaign for him the other day and went something like this. I would prefer you vote tomorrow and tell everybody you know to vote tomorrow. Nothing like saying, you want to meet me tomorrow? What you, what you doing tomorrow? She thinks this is funny. Or bright. You got any pl- or intelligent. <laughs> she doesn't have a clue. You got any plans tomorrow? Tomorrow's a good day. It's going to be a good day. But the point is... Hello? Yeah, no, I'm with the Kamala Harris rally. What? No, it sucks. <laughs> now this this I found this interesting. Uh Gabriel Hughes is a is a Christian pastor who I follow on Twitter. His profile says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans eight one. And he says, if you're a Christian voting Democrat, you have done far more to compromise on Christian ethics and principles than anyone who voted for Trump. Some things are really obvious, but they, you know, they have to be said. They have to be said. Uh, Stephen Miller, senior advisor to President Trump, says, one cannot overstate the extent of the disaster for Biden in Virginia the single most important question in Washington today is how many Democrats in Congress want to commit, commu- want to commit career suicide 
by voting for BBB. Open borders, Green New Deal, critical race theory, runaway inflation, and crippling U.S. manufacturing. You know what I'm saying? So liberals are worried about let's go, Brandon. What moms and dads are worried about is doubling the price of gas and groceries, kids getting brainwashed, and crime-ridden cities. And that's why the election wasn't even close in Virginia. Hat tip to comfortably smug on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a red wave in Virginia last night. Let Let me look at Jersey. Let me look at Jersey again. Okay, let's see. Um, NBC News, which had the vote total at 88% last night. When I woke up this morning, it was down to 85%. Now it's back up to 86%. Oh, I see. I see. So now the incumbent, Phil Murphy, 49.9%. Jack Chiotarelli, only 49.3%. Oh, I see. Yeah, now the incumbent leading his Republican challenger by almost 15,000 votes. Yeah, they're going to steal it. They're going to steal it. I'm still shocked and stunned amazement they didn't steal the Virginia gubernatorial election last night from Yunkin. Well, they'll, uh, they'll steal Jersey. They got the infrastructure in place. Know what I'm saying? The infrastructure. And it's a crying shame. You know, you hate to see injustice. You hate to see theft in broad daylight, but that's what's going on in Jersey. Has the GOP even thought about sending lawyers to Jersey? To try to kind of oversee what's going on? Has that even occurred to anybody? I mean, call me crazy, but I would think it would be a good idea. The, uh, the great Emily Zanotti over at Twitter says, there's focus on education as a key factor in Virginia, but to be honest, the core issue was bullying. Reasonable people have been bullied, have been gaslit for the last two years by people claiming to know what's best for their families. When someone gives you a better option than bullying, you take it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, there is a statement this morning from uh, former President Trump. He's quoting some guy named John Fredericks from the John Fredericks show. Probably a good guy. I never heard him. But that doesn't mean he's not a good guy. Says, if there were no Trump in this election, there would be no Glenn Youngkin. The great The great Julie Kelly says in response to President Trump's statement there, quoting somebody else about if there were no Trump at this election, there would be no Glenn Youngkin. She says, how about congratulations and not making everything about you? Now there's an idea. There's an idea. By the way, Julie Kelly was interviewed 
uh, by Tucker Carlson for this um, new series he's got about what really happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And um, so my understanding is on Fox Nation, and you get a free trial for a week, or you can go to TuckerCarlson.com and, and watch it there. And I'm planning on watching it. I'm planning on watching it because if Julie Kelly vouches for it, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. And Tucker does a lot of good work. Tucker does a lot of good work. Now, speaking of Julie Kelly, she's got kind of a play-by-play of what's going on in a hearing this morning, uh, Mr. Worrell, the guy who's uh, sick with cancer, and uh, Chris Worrell, stage three cancer patient, who's been convicted of no crime, and Biden's Justice Department prosecutors want him denied bail, even though he's got a broken hand that they uh, would not allow to be treated, and he's got cancer, stage three. They want him kept in jail. They want him kept in jail. And that's really terrible. That's really terrible. Anyway, uh, so we got to tell you what's going on with that. Because hardly anybody else will, right? Hardly anybody else will, right? So... Uh, let me just do something real quick. I gotta, I gotta get a drink of water. So uh, this will be quick and painless. You're listening to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download to your smartphone. The show is also available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, that having been said, that having been said, let me uh, let me get back to, uh, oh, my team just came in. Oh, that's great. Mansur, Brian, how are you guys doing? All right, very good. So Julie Kelly talking about the, um, the court proceeding here. Chris Worrell, she says, uh, Joe Biden's cruel and vengeful prosecutors still arguing to keep Chris Worrell, a stage three cancer patient convicted of no crime related to January 6th in the Gulag in D.C. The DOJ uses Chris Worrell's use of some kind of white power sign as evidence of his dangerousness. White power, is that where you do the the, uh, AOK sign? Like Barack Obama's done so many times? Yep, the OK symbol. Yep, they say that's white power. Julie Kelly says FBI having a normal one interrogating Worrell last January about his political beliefs and associations. Quote, are you planning to protest Joe Biden's inauguration? Unquote. We have ways of making you talk. The FBI raided 
Chris Worrell's home in March. He's been in the D.C. Gulag since April. He has no trial date. <sighs> Status hearing at 11 a.m. Eastern. Judge Lambert, who referred the D.C. jail to DOJ for civil rights abuses, has refused so far to release Chris Worrell. Now, I think that changed this morning. Let me, let, me, uh, let me check the update on this. Let me check the update, because she's got the update. Over the objection of Biden's DOJ, and citing disgusting punitive conditions in the D.C. jail, Judge Royce Lamberth released cancer patient and January 6th detainee Chris Worrell to home incarceration so he can be treated for cancer. Biden DOJ prosecutor arguing with Lamberth's assessment of D.C. jail. Monsters. Monsters. Wow. By the way, in the hearing, Worrell and his lawyers were discussing how their pre-hearing call was repeatedly disconnected. Judge Lamberth says he had a meeting with prosecutors and they confirmed there was no evidence before Lamberth's order, no evidence that the surgeon did not recommend surgery for Worrell's broken hand. Seems to suggest someone tried to coerce the surgeon into changing, changing his recommendation. Judge Lamberth accusing the Washington, D.C. Department of Correction of withholding medical records from both U.S. Marshal's Office and prosecutors. He said they repeatedly did not give me. Now they want to weasel out and say they gave me everything. Judge Lamberth then reviewed the report about the D.C. jail conditions as egregious. It says contrary to news reports, it did not say conditions at D.C. January 6th gulag were acceptable. U.S. Marshals said guards were telling marshals not to snitch on prison guards. Detainee sprayed with pepper spray and untreated, which caused more injury. Suggests it was criminal. Another detainee denies sick call because his fingers were black and couldn't fill out form. Water turned off to entire January 6th pod. Marshals witnessed sewage backed up in cells, backed up for days. Odor of feces and urine. Food not up to standard. Detainees had observable injuries. Guards observed taunting detainees. All, the marshals said all this stuff. Marshals reported, it is beyond belief. Conditions are deplorable overall, but January 6th pod, pod not as deplorable, but still unacceptable. The judge says this court has zero confidence the defendant will be treated in the way he needs. Also worries avoiding guard retaliation, is not pleased with DOJ answers. Judge Lamberth released Christopher Worrell to home incarceration. Need for treatment, a compelling reason for release. Releasing him today to Alexandria Jail so he's not abused by jail guards in the D.C. jail. Prosecutor wants to make sure Worrell has electronic monitoring. The DOJ, this DOJ is sick. They're sick. They're twisted. They're evil. It's horrible. It's horrible what they're doing to Americans. And, you know, 
you got a couple of Republicans speaking up. Matt Gates out of Florida, Louis Gohmert out of Texas, Marjorie Taylor Greene out of Northwest Georgia. But uh, hardly anybody else. Hardly anybody else. U.S. Marshals inspection further confirms horrific conditions and abuse in D.C. jail housing January 6th prisoners. Punitive denial of food and water. Thank you, the great Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch, for mentioning this. He links to a Washington Post article, which I can't see because I'm not going to give any money. So it's behind a paywall. Behind a paywall. Tom Fitton continues. He says, don't worry, everyone. January 6th prisoners magically walled off from these abusive conditions, quote, were observed to be largely appropriate and consistent with federal prisoner detention standards, unquote. Yeah, largely. Largely. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So I'm going to upset some people with what I share with you next, but I got to do what I got to do, what I got to do, what I got to do. Okay. Tucker Carlson shocked that Trump hasn't sent January 6th rioters any money. He says, I just find that appalling. I do too. You know what? I like this guy more and more all the time. You know, I've, I've said, uh, you know, I don't watch Fox. I'll watch Tucker. It, it, it's not a wise career move to speak up for January 6th political prisoners who are being tormented, who are being abused in the gulag in Washington, D.C. But Tucker Carlson is one of the very few people doing it. So God bless him. God bless him. Now, in response to that, Julie Kelly quotes from this article at Mediaite talking about Tucker being shocked that Trump hasn't sent January 6th rioters any money, as if they were rioters, which they weren't. Julie Kelly has the quote from the Mediaite article. Kelly, who has been a key figure in spreading conspiracy theories about the 2020 election in January 6th, responded by confirming Trump has done nothing to support the rioters, unquote. She says, okay, sure, guys. So she gets a response, which says, I'm confused. Has Trump provided any monetary or otherwise support to the January 6th defendants or not? Why do I still not know the answer to the simple question? And Julie Kelly says, no. No. So, um, then it gets really interesting. I suspect he wants to be seen to be neutral, but has anyone actually questioned, questioned him as to why not? 
Next response, probably the same reason it took him seven months to mention Ashley Babbitt and eight months to say anything about the deplorable jail. Same reason he still thinks Lindsey Graham's a good guy. You know, I got to tell you something. I watched Trump's speech on January 6th, hoping against hope that Republican members of Congress would have the guts to say, hey, 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 hey. There's too much that happened in the swing states. We got to do something about the fact that this is being stolen from the American people, okay? I watched Trump say, hey, we're going to walk over to the Capitol peacefully and make our voices heard, okay? He said, we as if he was going, but he didn't. But a lot of people did. And of course, we know now January 6th was a setup, an FBI setup. We know now that there were police opening doors and inviting people in. We also know that there were police shooting flashbang grenades and tear gas at peaceful protesters. And we've known for months that the Biden Justice Department has done everything they can to have bail denied for people with no criminal records who are charged with nonviolent misdemeanors, parading in the Capitol, stuff like that, right? And where's Trump? Trump could be paying for the legal defense funds of these people, many of whom don't even have trial dates yet, but are still being held since January, February, he could be paying for their legal defense funds with the money he could find on the sofa cushions. Why isn't he? Why is everything about him? Why doesn't he stand up for these people who tried to stand up for him? I don't know, fam. I can't call it. I can't call it. I told you that would upset some folk. But, you know, I, I got to call balls and strikes. I, I, you know, what other cliche can I use? Let the chips fall where they may. Laura Logan is another journalist I uh, admire. She's out there on uh, Twitter this morning. Has a, just a horrible, horrible, sad picture of a couple of guys who were hung by the neck in Afghanistan. She says, as Afghanistan disappears from the spotlight, you may be deceived into thinking the worst is over. It is not. Slaughter of civil society leaders, activists, artists, soldiers, police, government workers, U.S. allies, etc., continues unabated. Afghans say murders like these happening reportedly every day. Every day. And that's what Biden's handlers want. They wanted to send a message. Don't ever cooperate with the Americans because this is how you wind up. And that message has been received loud and clear 
loud and clear all over the world. All over the world. By the way, I, I am going to talk about the latest about Bongino before this thing is over. Let's see. What's this? Pfizer expects 2021 and 2022 COVID-19 vaccine sales to total at least $65 billion. Reporting from Yahoo Finance Reuters there. Let's see. Um, BMJ investigation, COVID-19, researcher blows a whistle on data integrity issues and Pfizer's vaccine trial. Huh. Let's see. A regional director who was employed at the research organization Ventavia Research Group has told the British Medical Journal that the company falsified data, unblinded patients, employed inadequately trained vaccinators, and was slow to follow up on adverse events reported in Pfizer's pivotal Phase three trial. Staff who conducted quality control checks were overwhelmed by the volume of problems they were finding. After repeatedly notifying Ventavia of these problems, the regional director, Brooke Jackson, emailed a complaint to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Ventavia fired her later the same day. Jackson has provided the BMJ with dozens of internal company documents, photos, audio, rec audio recordings, and emails. Yeah, none of it matters. None of it matters because Democrats are in charge, and they want this to go through. And it will. And I have no doubt that many children will die. Money, 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 money. Now, we saw a pushback in Virginia last night, didn't we? Larry Sabato, pollster, University of Virginia, Center for Politics, was on with uh, Rachel Madcow, MSNBC, last night. What do you think the story is here tonight thus far? The story is, I'm not going to call it a blowout because we don't have the final, uh, final uh, numbers, but I will tell you, somebody in... Uh, high up in uh, McAuliffe's camp, who was there with McAuliffe, uh, put it this way to me about an hour ago. It's a bloodbath. So, kind of your feel-good story for the day. It's a bloodbath. By the way, anybody remember nine months ago we were treated to one of the most amazing local news moments in history, wherein old-school common sense collided with millennial science and the results were mind-blowing. The CDC said, hey, double masking to protect yourself against COVID nine months ago. You remember that? Hat tip to a guy who goes by goes by the, uh, the Twitter profile Peculiar Baptist over there on, on Twitter. How about that? Yeah, double masking. You remember that? Speaking of Yahoo, the great Mark Hemingway, husband of the great Molly Hemingway over at Federalist.com, Mark Hemingway, senior writer, Real Clear Investigation, said in response to the report that Yahoo News is pulling out of China amid what they call an increasingly challenging environment, he says, so a short thread about China and Yahoo and what truly vile behavior an American company engaged in to appease the Chicoms. And again, Chicom is a uh, it's a term that Rush first came up with years ago. 
See how many people remember this. In September 2005, Hunan journalist Shi Tao was sentenced to 10 years in prison for sending the Chinese propaganda department's directives to a website that advocates democracy. Specifically, it was a memo warning journalists not to publish anything relating to Chinese dissidents marking the 15th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. It emerged that this journalist, Shi Tao, had sent the directives using a Yahoo email address and that Yahoo had given in to the demands of Chinese police and revealed his identity. When Yahoo's CEO was asked about his company's complicity, he responded, uh, we respect the customs of the countries where we do business. Indeed, Yahoo did a lot of business in China. Thanks to its respect for China's customary repression of free speech, less than a year after Xi Tao's arrest, the Chai Coms allowed Yahoo to purchase a hefty stake in the Chinese e-commerce site Alibaba. To celebrate the purchase, Yahoo threw an expensive party. The guest of honor was none other than Bill Clinton. That's right. Former President Clinton was surely aware of Yahoo's collusion in the arrest of Xi Tao, which had made international news, but he chose not to exercise any moral leadership in defense of the imprisoned journalist. Wait a minute. Did Mr. Hemingway just put the term moral leadership in the same paragraph with the words Bill Clinton? In 2011, Yahoo donated $50,000 to Clinton's foundation and webcast the foundation's benefit concert, A Decade of Difference, a concert celebrating 10 years of the William J. Clinton Foundation, featuring Lady Gaga, Usher, Kenny Chesney, and Bono. As for Yahoo, it ended up owning about a quarter of Alibaba. Their IPO ended up being worth $200 billion and more, which proved extremely profitable for Yahoo. Anyway, Yahoo made their blood money, and now some years later, China has pulled the rug out from under them. But it's just one of the many examples of how much damage American companies and politicians are willing to do to make money in China. No, I, I did not mention LeBron James. No, just because we're all thinking about him doesn't mean yeah, yeah, got it, got it. Anybody know who uh, John Curtis is? John Curtis, Republican U.S. congressman from Utah. Who uh, put out a statement the evening of January 6th likening peaceful protesters to domestic terrorists, January 6th. The great Julie Kelly says, don't forget the Republicans who call January 6th an act of domestic terrorism. They have enabled this abusive prosecution that is destroying lives. More proof Republicans like John Curtis out of Utah are helping to turn the war on terror against American citizens. No, 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 no. I've got more. No, I've got it. I, I, can't, I can't stop this yet. The great... Hans Monkey over the epictimes.com. Links to an article from Republicans 
on the Energy and Commerce Committee in the U.S. House says this is absolutely astounding. Fauci's NIH allocated money to the Wuhan lab six months after the pandemic broke out, also after Trump directed Fauci to terminate EcoHealth's grant. Yep, sure did. Sure did. If anybody belongs under the under the jail, it's Fauci, right? Right? The great Michael Knowles over Daily Wire. The great Michael Knowles over Daily Wire says, Amy Coney Barrett is a disaster. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected an appeal from a Catholic hospital to dismiss a lawsuit that targeted it for not permitting a woman who identifies as a man to have a hysterectomy performed there. Reuters reported the justices turned away an appeal by Mercy San Juan Medical Center, a Sacramento area hospital owned by Dignity Health, and let stand a lower court ruling that revived Evan Minton's lawsuit accusing it of intentionally discriminating against him in violation of California law because he is transgender. Okay, if he needs a, if he needs a hysterectomy, he's not a he. You know what I'm saying? He's a she. Only Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch were willing to hear the hospital's appeal. In 2016, Mercy San Juan Medical Center initially scheduled the procedure but then reversed his position when it was apprised of the reason Minton wanted it, according to the lawsuit. Quote, The hospital let Minton's physician perform the procedure at a different facility in his system a few days later. After a trial judge ruled against Minton, a California appeals court in 2019 revived the case, rejecting the hospital's argument that forcing it to perform procedures contrary to its religious beliefs would violate its right under the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment for the free exercise of religion, unquote. In June, U.S. Supreme Court turned down an opportunity to reverse a ruling that permitted students identifying as the opposite sex to use the opposite sex bathroom. The court declined to hear the case of Gavin Grimm, a Virginia female student who identifies as male, who had sued the Gloucester County School Board for stating that Restrooms were limited to the corresponding biological genders. Washington Post noted the case initially reached the Supreme Court in 2017, but the argument was canceled after President Trump reversed an Obama administration rule that had directed schools to allow students to use restrooms that correspond with their gender identity. The Obama Department of Education wrote in May 2017, well, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, but Again, we were told that this Amy Coney Barrett was a constitutionalist, not somebody that would tell a Christian hospital that you don't have the rights to your Christian beliefs. Yeah, she's a disaster, all right. Michael Knowles, absolutely correct. She is a disaster. Can, can I give you a little bit of good news out of Jersey last night? Absolute stunner of a race developing in South Jersey. Because we have listeners in Jersey, where Senate President Steve Sweeney, the longest-serving legislative leader in New Jersey state history, 
is now trailing his Republican challenger, a virtual unknown, by close to three points. Edward Durr, a truck driver who spent less than $200, seems to be in a position to perhaps defeat the longest-serving party leader in the New Jersey State Legislature. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be neat? That would be phenomenal. That would be fantastic. By the way, uh, Minneapolis voters rejected replacing police department with new units 18 months after George Floyd death spurred call for change. How about that? How about that? Yeah. Um, it was a great night last night. Let me look at Jersey again before I give you the latest on um, Bongino. Hang on. Where where'd Jersey go? Okay, yeah, over here. I have too many tabs open. It's almost like I'm... Uh, A talk, talk show host. So let's see. Okay. Fox has Phil Murphy leading the Republican by almost 15,000 votes. Uh, let me see. NBC News, which said 88% of the vote was in last night, but this morning said only 85%. They've got the same totals. Phil Murphy leading by almost 15,000. Yeah, they're stealing New Jersey. I mean, they're stealing New Jersey. You know how it is. The Democrats. The Democrats are... The, the Democrat areas wait. Hey, guys, uh, Brian Manser. I got somebody, uh, some of your private messages on Facebook says, Doc, I cannot get your podcast live today. Is there a problem happening? Oh, the podcast crashed live at 12. Okay, but but we'll, we hope, God willing, that this goes up when we, when we, when we put it up. Okay, all right. All right, I got I to gotta say something about my buddy Dan Bongino. Uh, Dan Bongino loses conservative support amid rumors his vaccine mandate stand is really just virtue signaling. Someone I've never heard of named Colby Hall over at Mediate. Let's see what it says here. <clears throat> Dan Bongino has been off the air for weeks as he carries out an intense feud with the syndicator of his radio show. Weeks? Does a week and a half count as weeks? I, I guess so. I guess so. The article at Media Eye continues, it's a been bad time. They don't have any proofreaders at Media Eye? Probably what he was trying to say was, it's been a bad time to take off for a conservative firebrand given the abundance of news, a tight gubernatorial race in Virginia that ended in a Republican victory, the looming threat of vaccine mandate strikes, and President Joe Biden either falling asleep on the global, global stage as his approval ratings sink to lower lows. Huh, wait a minute. And Joe Biden either falling asleep on the global stage or, or what? 
There, there are no proofreaders at Mediaite. I'm trying to get through this slog, through this, this sludge here, this inscrutable sludge by some guy named Colby Hall at Mediaite. But, uh, you know, I get paid to do the hard work, so we'll try to stick with it. He says, but Bongino is not currently hosting his widely syndicated show and the radio stations that carry him are left to air reruns of past programs that are by definition pretty stale. The reason for this, according to Dan Bongino, is principle. He is protesting the vaccine requirement of Cumulus, of Cumulus Media, the parent company Westwood One, which syndicates the Dan Bongino show. Bongino is vaccinated but says he opposes the mandate, and on October 18th, he threatened to quit over it. Four days later, Bongino told his audience, quote, it's been an extremely exhausting week. I just want to assure you again, you will get my content here. This is my podcast. I own this podcast, okay? This will be here next week. He continued, the radio program syndicated through Cumulus, which has a vaccine mandate, that conversation has not been going well. It's been degenerating even worse. It is ongoing, but as I said to them, and I will repeat again with Cumulus, I am not going to be there while there is a vaccine mandate. They can have the vaccine mandate or they can have me, but they can't have both, unquote. God bless him. God bless him for standing up for me and people like me. Anyway, <clears throat> somebody named Colby Hall, who's having a difficult time with the English language, his article at Mediaite says, since that blow-up, Bongino has been off the air. Cumulus has aired reruns of the show. Um, yeah, I think you already said that, didn't you, Colby? Is there an echo in here? And said in a statement that the host is taking a well-deserved vacation. <laughs> a vacation. Nobody believes you, Cumulus. Hey, Mary. Mary Burner, CEO, Cumulus. Nobody believes you. Hey, hey, Brian. Brian Phillips, genius corporate vice president of programming. Nobody believes you. Hey, Bill Hess, uh, News Talk format captain for the Cumulus chain. Nobody believes you. It's not a vacation. Why lie? But I digress. But the timing of his self-imposed exile, well, it has raised questions. The Cumulus vaccine policy was announced in the summer with pretty clear deadlines. First shot in September and a second shot by October 8th. Anyone who did not follow the policy was let go by the company by that date. Speaking, President accounted for. Colby Hall at Mediaite says a source with direct knowledge of the company's policy revealed to Mediaite that anyone on the chopping block for refusing to get the vaccine was already fired. So the notion that Bongino is taking a principled stand against mandates as a means of protecting the freedom of his colleagues doesn't make much sense. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It has raised eyebrows among industry leader, uh, industry insiders who suspect that Bongino's protest has a different motivation than a principled stand against vaccine mandates. Oh, really? So what would that motivation be? Take, for example, North Alabama-based conservative talk radio host Dale Jackson. I knew his real last name. Who called out by <laughs> who called out Bongino for quote virtue signaling unquote his opposition to the mandate? 
Quote, the reason why I called it virtue signaling is very simple. The mandate went into place a week after he said he wouldn't work for a company that had a vaccine mandate. No, no, it would have to have been a week before. It went into place. This this Colby Hall guy at media, I can't get anything right, can he? The mandate went into effect October 11th. He announced that they're going to have to choose between him and the mandate on October 18th. That's a week after, not a week before. He announced it a week after. Mandate went into effect a week before, not a week after. Now you get me confused. Okay, so Colby Hall, the, I'm sure, award-winning reporter over at Media Eye, continues. Jackson, no, I'm not going to say his real last name on the radio. I'm out on the radio, on the podcast. Jackson is not alone in his criticism of Bongino. The self-imposed exile, sources say, is more about Bongino's flagging commitment to continuing his three-hour daily show. Now, what would the sources base that on? Huh? There's a lot of rumbling within Cumulus and stations that syndicate his show that Bongino's stand against mandates is actually a naked attempt to break a contract he does not like. His colleagues are not happy about it. That's ridiculous. What's not to like? The conservative talk community is a pretty tight-knit, tightly-knit group. Oh, we are? He says it's not exactly all for one and one for all, but it's pretty damn close. Part of it is just simple like-mindedness and common mission. The other is the joy in bonding over being something of a political outlier from the mainstream. So when one is under attack, well, all come running in support. It's easy programming and usually pays off in the end. One good turn deserves another. That is curiously not the case in this instance. Take, for example, a not-so-subtle dig at Bongino from conservative writer Derek Hunter. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said the conservative talk community, and now you're saving, and now you're saying conservative writer. So Derek Hunter is not a talk show host, is he? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I've heard of him. But, oh, yes, okay, I apologize. So he actually has a, a show from 9 to noon in, in, in Baltimore. I didn't know that. But see, again, this, this Colby Hall guy from Meteor, Meteorite throws, throws me off. He doesn't call him a conservative talk show host. I had to look it up. How many mistakes can you make in an article for Meteorite? Anyway. Derek Hunter says, when you aren't live for two weeks and so few people notice, it's not a good sign. If you're really so full of principles, resign already. Well, if so few people notice, then why is everybody talking about him? The great Colby Hall. The Edward R. Murrow of our time. The Lowell Thomas of our time. The Walter Winchell of our time continues at Mediaite by saying, so what's really going on here? It's entirely plausible that Bongino wants out of his contract with Westwood One and is protesting in hopes of scoring a broken contract, perhaps so he can go to Fox Radio or another outlet. What is this based on, Colby? 
What is this based on? He has an audience that most conservative outlets would love to reach. Radio Inc. reported on rumors that Bongino, who is a Fox News contributor, could find a home at Fox Radio. And this is what they said. The rumor about Bongino moving to Fox Audio is interesting. Whether it's even possible is another story. It most likely would all come down to Cumulus tearing up their original contract with a popular conservative host. However, it may also allow Cumulus to keep Bongino broadcasting on the hundreds of radio stations they put the muscle of Westwood One behind when they launched him back in May. Fox does not have a vaccine mandate. Really? I thought they did. And Bongino already has a working relationship with Fox News where he hosts his own program Saturday night. Back to the great Colby Hall at Mediate. Paragon of journalistic integrity. He says, when asked about Bongino's possible move to Fox, one radio executive told Mediate, oh, he liked that very much, but why would Cumulus and Westwood One break his contract, let alone allow him to work for a competitor? Colby Hall, Mediate, on the case, says, by the way, with a question mark, Westwood One also syndicates Bongino's very lucrative podcast, which he continues to host, so his principled stand apparently has limitations. Why a question mark after, by the way, Colby? I don't understand the way you write. Multiple sources told Mediaite that local radio stations have grown tired of re-airing Bongino shows focused on the issues of yestermonth. Complaining about the Afghanistan withdrawal is not exactly a ratings draw months after it happened and it is costing stations, audience, and ad revenue. Really? After a week and a half off, advertisers are canceling their advertising because Bongino took a week and a half off the first time since he started in early May? Really? I mean, I know of advertisers who have canceled their advertising with Cumulus because of the vaccine mandate. I haven't heard anybody canceling they're advertising because Bongino has been off for a week and a half. That's fascinating. But Colby Hall, I guess, is the amazing Kreskin. He can, uh, he can deduce these things by looking at his crystal ball, apparently. Anyway, further, his belated stand against vaccines casts his fellow cumulus hosts as weak corporate shills and hypocrites, which could be another reason Dan Bongino can't get any love in the community of conservative talk radio hosts. Hey, he's got some love here, y'all. What am I? What am I, a potted plant? What am I, chopped liver? Huh? He says, a group whose support he sorely needs to stay relevant in this current political climate. Okay, wait, that's not a sentence. There should have been a comma there instead of a period. How many mistakes in this article so far? Six, seven? Mediaite has reached out to Dan Bongino for comment and will update the post if he responds. Update! Bongino did not respond. And again, remember, at the end of this, I'm going to tell you why I think he waited until October 18th instead of coming down on this August 11th when the power-mad CEO of Cumulus announced that she's going to fire anybody who didn't get the jab and oh 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 and who by the way didn't 
Now, any engineers, local radio engineers didn't get the jab? No, they kept them. It's too hard to find local radio engineers. See, it's much easier, I guess, to find washed-up DJs like myself impersonating a talk show host. Well, they thought it would be, but it's not. Okay, update. Bongino did not respond directly to the email for comment, but instead posted an emergency update video to Facebook in which he denies reporting that he is trying to break his contract, insisting that his refusal to host is in protest to a vaccine mandate. He also criticized conservative criticism he's received as, quote, a bunch of people leaking to the media are desperate. They don't want anybody standing on principle on vaccine mandates, unquote. He also says, quote, do you know why I'm losing their support? Because a lot of them don't have the balls to stand up and say anything in support because they don't want to lose their freaking gravy train, unquote. All right, now, let me say this about that. When the announcement was made, I think in late March or early April, that all the Cumulus Talk radio stations were going to start carrying Dan Bongino in, I think it was about May 11th or something like that, because he was going to be syndicated by Westwood One, which Cumulus owns. A lot of us in conservative talk radio were interested to see, well, okay, so he's going to be on the big Cumulus talk radio stations like uh, um, KABC out in L.A., WLS, Chicago, WBAP in Dallas, the one I was on, KRN in Little Rock. But I wonder what it's going to be like for Westwood One to try to get him on other radio stations. That's going to be interesting. You know, how many radio stations not owned by Cumulus will pick up Dan Bongino? Well, it turns out quite a few. At last count, he was on over 300 radio stations, most of them not owned by Cumulus. So here's the way I'm looking at it. As of August 11th, when the power man CEO of Cumulus, Mary Berner, announced that she was going to try to force people to have an experimental drug injected into their veins if they wanted to keep their jobs, I'll bet you Bongino didn't have nearly as many affiliates August 11th as he did by the time he announced October 18th, over two months later, you either keep your vaccine mandate or you keep me, but you can't keep both. So he's in a much better bargaining position by October 18th than he would have been August 11th. You know, too big to fail, that kind of thing. And it, 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 it is mind-numbing to me. It is baffling to me. I'm flabbergasted that nobody seems to get this. Am I the only one who gets this? Dale Jackson in Huntsville, Alabama, programming a Cumulus Talk radio station there and doing mornings. He clearly doesn't get it. And he's actually in radio. Colby Hall at Mediaite clearly doesn't get it. But I don't know if I've never heard of Colby Hall before. I mean, I, you know, who knows what his background is. But all these people who were... Uh, Unnamed sources. 
unnamed sources. None of them get it. Okay, what is what is what is Colby Hall's deal? Founding editor of Mediaite. I uh, used to be vice president creative director at iHeartMedia back when it was Clear Channel. Oh, he worked at HBO. Okay. Oh, he's a producer at uh, MTV. Oh, okay. Oh, he was a showrunner for VH1. Oh, okay. Doesn't look like he's ever been actually on the air on radio. Okay. So I get it, Colby. You don't get it. Um, I don't know why Dale Jackson, the only one willing to go on record slamming Bongino from one of his affiliates there, Cumulus Affiliate in Huntsville, Alabama. I don't know why he doesn't get it, but I get it. I think it's great timing. Again, let me spell it out for you. Bongino, no way he had as many affiliates when the power-drunk CEO of Cumulus announced the vaccine mandate on August 11th as he had over two months later, October 18th. I think it's great timing. I respect and admire Brother Bongino. And, uh, you know, I hope to either have him on my show or be on his show, whatever that looks like at some point. Because, he, you know, he reached out to me and stuff when I uh, was on Twitter a while back saying I don't even know how to contact him, but God bless him for standing up for me and people like me. So um, <clears throat> so before I get out of here, of course, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series last night, and uh, the, there were a number of Braves fan, fans booing the commissioner of baseball. You remember because um, since Georgia passed a law making voting more secure, which is not nearly as stringent as, say, states like Biden's home state of Delaware or maybe Colorado or whatever. Um, they fell hook, line, and sinker for the the race card, and they took the all-star game away from Atlanta, thus hurting a lot of black-owned small businesses, and they moved it to Colorado, which has more stringent voting laws than Georgia. So I think uh, the Braves maybe should do their victory parade in Denver. <laughs> I stole it from somebody. I don't remember who said it. I just thought it was funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God bless Dan Bongino. God bless people who stick up for other people. And you know what? It sounds like he is, uh, he has the right enemies. Let me just put it that way. Okay. All right. Um, I'm Doc Washburn. I appreciate you guys. This has been episode 17 of the Doc Washburn show for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. I want to say thank you to all the folks listening all over the country, all over the world. We're up to uh, 28,000 podcasts now, and we appreciate you. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. God willing, over and out.